Welcome back to our second segment of this afternoon's program. It's Sunday, the 30th of May, 2021. It is now 1.45 in the studio. I'm your host, Kieran Murdoch. Uh, the COVID situation in Trinidad and Tobago has been dire in the month of May. The country has been in a very strict lockdown, and there have been as many as 470 COVID-related deaths thus far. That's updated up to yesterday, Saturday. Uh, there have also been an average of 508 new cases uh, for the last uh, seven days, uh, spanning last week. Uh, on this segment, we are going to be speaking to guests in Trinidad and Tobago about the situation that is unfolding there. Uh, we are happy to have with us on this panel Mr. Rishi Maharaj. Uh, he is Executive Director of, Equigov, of the Equigov Institute. Uh, the Equigov Institute is a social enterprise-based consulting and training organization which is focused on transparency, accountability, and governance. Uh, good afternoon to you, Mr. Rishi Maharaj, and how are you doing? Good afternoon, yes. Uh, we have with us as well on this panel Mr. Jade Mark Sunilal. Uh, he is a journalist and researcher with the Pan American Health Organization, PAHO. Uh, good afternoon to you, Mr. Jade Mark Sunilal. Good afternoon to the people of Antigua and Barbuda. Nice to have me on. Thank you. Uh, we have with us as well Ms. Jade Trim. Uh, Ms. Jade Trim is a graduate student at the Institute of Gender Development Studies at the University of the West Indies, St. Augustine. Uh, good afternoon to you, Ms. Jade Trim. Good afternoon, everyone. Thanks for having me. And uh, finally, we are joined by Mr. Ansel St. Hilaire. Uh, he is a political and social commentator in Trinidad and Tobago. Good afternoon to you, Mr. St. Hilaire. All right, we will uh, sort out that. Um, Mr. Rishi Maharaj, uh, from around April 29th, it seems that uh, Trinidad and Tobago went into uh, a much stricter and much more restrictive shutdown in response to what appeared them to be a very alarming number of daily uh, confirmed cases. Uh, I'm curious as to, you know, from your own recollection, what uh, led up to that point? I mean, we're, if, we, if we think back to the beginning of May, uh, uh, how did things progress to the point that uh, a very strict lockdown needed to go into effect uh, and uh, cases were getting very much out of hand? Well, thank you very much for your invitation this afternoon. Yes, as you would have mentioned, um, around April, I guess you can say, after the end of Easter, uh, until present, there has been an exponential uh, rise I... in the number of COVID positive cases, together with um, high cases of, of deaths uh, in, within the country, and that has, you know, caused severe pressure being put on the healthcare system. I think, in my view, it's difficult to put a single point. That's exactly, this was the exact cause of it. Obviously, we've heard many commentators here in Trinidad speak of the Easter holidays where over 50,000 uh, or 25,000 people thereabouts would have traveled between Trinidad and Tobago. Uh, as well, we, they heard the Prime Minister just uh, last week uh, when he was in Parliament seeking to extend the state of emergency for three months, making reference to certain uh, gatherings that we had in the country in February in relation to a death of a young lady. So I think, you know, there have been upticks and downticks uh, over a while. I guess it, it just began to skyrocket together with, I think, the imminent Brazil variant that was detected in the country. And of course, the easy, easy spreadability based on the medical personnel have told us about about that day and being able to spread very rapidly. Uh, so I think they are there. So to me, to put a single 
point us that this is exactly what caused it. It's difficult to do, but there are several instances that have been happening uh, that really could lead to uh, this massive spike that we've been having as of late. Uh, and Mr. Jade Mark Sonilal, and I will, I will, um, I will have to call. Uh, Mr. Jade Mark Sonilal and Miss Jade Trim by their full names or at least by their last names because of course their uh, first name is quite similar as Jade Mark and then there's Jade. Uh, but Mr. Jade Mark Sonilal, um, the news coming out of Trinidad and Tobago continues to be quite serious. Uh, according to what I've seen online, there are 9,250 active cases and there's been an average, as I said, of uh, 508 new infections a day for the last week. Uh, beyond the numbers, can you give me any sense of the seriousness of the situation as you've observed it? Well, the situation is, uh, is very, very much dire. When you look at Trinidad and Tobago, uh, not just in the last month, when you look at the beginning of the pandemic first, in March of 2020, we are looking at a country who, uh, whose economy was not in the best state going into a pandemic. And with the necessary and sometimes unnecessary regulations that came across and were brought forth strictly for public health um, combatants of the virus, we see a situation now that is arising where not just we are looking at racism stumps, uh, but also we are looking at economic fallout. And, uh, you know, I've been saying this for the last few weeks, and that is where individuals are saying we are on the cusp of some kind of calamity or crisis. I would say very much so. We are in the midst of a humanitarian crisis in Trinidad and Tobago. From the perspective of my portfolio at Powell, I, I can say that. Um, desolation is not a hyperbolic word to describe Trinidad and Tobago's situation. Um, I can say that the Ministry of Health is readily accessing the power revolving fund where we are trying our absolute best to supply them with uh, medicine and supply that is non-COVID-19 related because at the same time when you look at the state of the medical uh, say, um, the medical infrastructure of Trinidad and Tobago. Not only we have what we call the parallel healthcare facility, we have the traditional healthcare facility, and both of them are far beyond strained right now. And this COVID-19 pandemic has not stopped the prevalence, has not stopped uh, the realities of lifestyle diseases and other ailments plaguing the people of Trinidad and Tobago. And for that reason, our healthcare system is very, very much burning. And on the ground, um, what we are seeing is a, a, a myriad of issues when it comes to mental health, when it comes to um, economic uh, depravity. Uh, people are losing jobs. People are uh, told to stay home. People are without salary. People are without any form of income. And as a result of that, what we are now seeing is that food prices are starting to raise. We are seeing that this is now affecting our forex situation even more. It's now uh, affecting the holistic economy of Trinidad and Tobago. So when we are looking at this pandemic, we're not just looking at the numbers, the nine, uh, 9,250 and the 7, 470 deaths. We are also looking at uh, the effect and the heavy toll it's taking on all those who are just, who are citizens of the nation and thankfully have not been directly affected by the virus. Uh, Ms. Jade Trim, uh, can you give me some sense uh, from your own perspective of the severity uh, of what is occurring uh, in Trinidad right now, both in terms of the, the health aspects uh, and also, as Mr. Sonilal mentioned, in terms of the socioeconomic effect that it has had on people? Yes. Um, it, from my own perspective as a student, it's taken away a lot from me. It has forced me to rework my entire 
thesis in many ways because of the lack of face-to-face -face interaction. Um, it's also taken away a lot from classes because there's something about face-to-face -face classes that just don't compare when you move to a Zoom session or to a BBC session. In terms of the socioeconomic, I think we can see it right now bearing a lot on women and children in particular, because now we have women who are essential workers. And in Trinidad, we have a majority female-headed households. So women who are essential workers right now are under a lot of pressure to provide childcare. There are no childcare um, institutions right now that are allowed to be open. And if you don't have that support right now, there's no one really to turn to. And so we're in a very interesting dilemma. And I think also if we look at mental health, there's a lot of people right now who are in isolation. They can't contact family members. Some persons might still be stuck out of the country. Um, I have friends who are stuck on campus, can't really go home. And it's it's really, it's reached an all-time high right now, you know? Well, coming to you, Mr. Ansel St. Hilaire, we didn't hear you initially, but uh, I think you should be, because I can see you quite clearly on Zoom, so I think you should uh, be with us now. Uh, we've noted that, uh, and you can unmute your mic in, in preparation, because I'm, uh, but we, we've noted that up to yesterday, uh, as we said, uh, 470 people had, had died of COVID in Trinidad and Tobago. Uh, do you get the sense uh, that the health system is overwhelmed? Um, do you think it, it has or has not come to that point yet? Is it apparent that the, the health system is overwhelmed? Well, it, 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 is a, it, it is approaching a critical point. Um, it is, to an, we, ha, we have to say it's overwhelmed. It, it, it's a, a case where we have, we have had an upsurge in um, cases. Uh, the, the amount of deaths have been increasing. The, the graphs will indicate that there has been a spike, both in uh, the number of cases and the number of deaths. It is, uh, it is the, the, that the virus is having certainly a, a, an impact. As with, with respect to being overwhelmed, if we look at, at, the, at the statistical data, we, the, the government has some eight parallel systems, parallel uh, facilities set up to accommodate um, patients. Uh, that gives it a, a capacity of over a thousand, a thousand possible cases at any one time. And uh, I don't think that they, they don't have a thousand persons in, uh, in the facility at, at any one time. So yes, there has been a spike. Yes, um, there, there, there is pressure on the system, both the, the parallel system, uh, well, more so the, more so the, the, the COVID facilities. And, an interesting thing to note is that on account of people following the protocols with respect to to the COVID uh, vaccines, uh, with, with respect to the COVID situation, there has been improvement in healthcare generally. In that, because people have been more sanitary and paying attention to the protocols, the the hospitals are, are reporting lower incidences of cases of influenza, diphtheria, uh, dengue, and those kind of things. So the the, the, the the normal health system has not been impacted by a surge of activity. So what 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 may 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 continue there is the, the, the normal treatment of, of lifestyle diseases and so on. And those things have been continuing. 
there hasn't been any upsurge there. So I, in, in view of that, I cannot say the, the system is overwhelmed, but we have, we, are, we have to watch how that curve rises. We have to watch the, the, the developing situations. And fact is, if we don't take control now, if we don't begin to see those curves going down now, like the impact of the spikes in late March, early April, if we don't see a receding of that in the short run, then we could say we, we will be approaching some crisis levels. Uh, Mr. Rishi Maharaj, um, we, we, we've touched on the issue of, of uh, the economics of the situation and how that is hurting many, many people. Um, the economy of Trinidad and Tobago was ailing before the end of April, long before the end of April. Uh, what can you say of the overall socioeconomic impact of the current situation? How, how serious is the want that has been created by this uh, ongoing, months-long disruption to routine business? Yeah, I mean, it has actually been, been months long. I think we've had disruption in, in, in the economic sector since March of last year because since March of last year we would have seen or um, the government would have taken action there have been uh, a start stop at, at some points businesses would open then they would close back they would cut down the amount of hours so I think uh, as one speaker alluded to before I mean the economy wasn't in a good position going into the pandemic because obviously we are very heavily reliant on the energy sector oil natural gas and those revenues have, have been declining for some time uh, due to the, the poor pricing, uh, the closure of petrochemicals and stuff like that. And we have been leaking forexes for, for a very long while in the country. So going into the pandemic, economically, we weren't well. And then I think with the the approach taken by, by the government on the advice of, of the health officials of the Ministry of Health, that has seriously impacted several businesses. Many have had to close We've had a, a lot of people losing their job, retrenched, or have been cut back on their hours. I think one of your speakers alluded to, to female health household. They have been severely impacted. So I think socially and economically, there has been you know the, a real serious impact, especially now what has been a state of emergency. And you know, just this morning I, I went to, 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 to do some stuff outside. And on the way back, several of the groceries, there were long lines of people waiting outside to get into the grocery store. So, you know, that just that shows that there is a economic impact and, and the lack, the difficulty sometimes of people getting grants from the government to be able to lend some kind of support, how small it may be. That has also, you know, played a major role in the impact of people's you know, normal day-to-day -day lives and existence. And coming back to you, Mr. Jade Mark Sunilal, and we're still on the question of the, uh, the sort of social and economic impacts of the pandemic. Um, from your observation, uh, how effective have measures been to ease the strain, whether those measures are from uh, you know, charitable organizations reaching out to people to assist them in their times of economic need, or uh, measures from the government in terms of uh, you know, as, as I said, assisting people in terms of economic need. Uh, how effective do you think those measures have been so far in your own observation? Well, as um, Mr. Um, I believe Maharaj, my apologies if I misquoted the last name, um, as the previous panelists just shared um, in a bit more detail than I, we were going into this pandemic, not this month last one, but before March of 2020, uh, in an economic state, 
that is not satisfactory. Uh, you know, we, we were state entering with a GDP to debt ratio of 65%, uh, which is critical. Uh, we are currently in a range of 87%. So the money point literally is not there uh, to, you know, create this social safety net to cover for the massive job loss and loss of productivity from uh, the lockdowns that started in March. And now what, we, what we're seeing, uh, both anecdotally and um, according to some of my colleagues at the Pan-American Health Organization, what we're seeing is that these restrictive hours that have been placed when it comes to essential services and shopping and all these things are creating, and um, I, I wouldn't say encouraging, but it is by human nature to panic. And, uh, you know, this is a very scary, scary time and uh, tenuous time for us as Trinidadians. And these restrictive lockdowns and restricted hours of shopping are creating a, a number of uh, congregating points for the public, which then, in, of course, increases the probability of positive cases. So when it comes, and, and then when it comes to the social safety net, it is, it, uh, as it stands, the government uh, ruled out a number of grants, um, such as the salary relief grant, the, the mainstay of them all, and up to this month, according to the Ministry of Finance, upwards of 86,000 people have accessed those grants. But there are a number of individuals in, in tens of thousands that are yet to access those grants. So what we're seeing is that it's a battered economy entering a time uh, of this pandemic where decisions, public health decisions have been taken. Uh, yes, in the, in the name of public health, but also damages the economy. And from that, the social safety net response is doing a job, but not necessarily a good job due to lack of front. Of course, the other side of that is that the government has now gone out and taken a number of loans to be able to fund uh, the services, to be able to fund the large public sector, which costs Trinidad and Tobago upwards of $20 billion a year in salaries. So what we see in terms of the public health response and the public, uh, let's call it social welfare response, is the government is trying, but they don't have the conditions. They did not create the conditions prior to the pandemic to be able to do what they're trying to do now. And uh, now we, we are falling short very much so when it comes to providing for our ports. Um, Ms. J. Trim, uh, more than half of the current uh, 470 COVID-related deaths have occurred this month. Uh, I said that, that demonstrates the severity of the situation in, in May in particular. Do you think that the current measures, and uh, I, I had a look at them online, they're quite restrictive. I mean, they're quite similar to a lot of the measures that, um, for instance, Antigua and Barbuda and other islands have uh, put into place or did put into place rather when they were on lockdown. Um, but in some senses, they're even more restrictive. Uh, but I'm curious as to your view, do you think they'll be effective? I honestly believe so, because if I look at the measures that we had around this time last year, I could say there was still a lot of congregating happening, um, especially as re related to bars. There was still a lot of people going to bars. Um, you could say in terms of law enforcement, there was very little enforcement in terms of closing businesses that were meant to be open, um, especially when it comes to online shopping. I would say back in January or so, there was a spike in online shopping. And as the first lockdown for the year began, I could say that definitely people were shopping a lot. Now, I think because of how clear the Prime Minister has been about the home deliveries and uh, opening up of places that are not meant to be open, 
I think people are a lot more serious now. They're listening. They're watching the numbers. I have family members who last year didn't really care much or were doing things that I would consider unsafe. Now they're very vigilant and they're messaging me to find out if everything's okay. They're checking the numbers. So I think people realize that it is a lot more serious than we might have initially believed. And I do think that they're a lot more susceptible to listening to what the government has to say in terms of measures. And Mr. Ansel St. Hilaire, are you convinced that the current measures will ultimately be effective? Well, they, 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 they would have impact. I, I think um, based on the, on the growing trends, uh, people are seeing the negative, the negative impact of, of laxity. Uh, there, there are complaints that people really didn't ad- adhere to the protocols. Uh, people were, were lax in, um, you know, really putting, taking stringent action. And so based on, on, on those laxities, we, are, we, we have seen the negative effects of that. I think people are now convinced that we are in danger. We are, we are, that, there, that there is a prevalence of the violent virus within the, within the, within the atmosphere within the territory, and people are now more sensitive to being careful. So I think people are now going to be more uh, sensitive to adhering to the, to the measures, and we should see some, some, some improvement based on that. All right, and uh, Mr. Rishi Maharaja, a, a week ago it was reported that while the pace of recoveries um, and hospital discharges was increasing ever so slightly. Uh, so too was the, the intake of infected patients. Uh, so I, I state that just to say that, um, you know, sometimes when there's uh, a little light shining, uh, the, the, the bad side of things is getting ever so slightly worse. Uh, so how confident are you that um, if restrictions continue as they are, uh, the situation health-wise will abate? Uh, there, there's a level of confidence, obviously, changes like this don't happen overnight uh it, it's going to take some time for the relevant uh, numbers to come down uh so it's not going to be uh, you you implement the restrictions today and by next week everything it, it gets better it takes a while to really see an impact of these measures you know someone estimated maybe about over three to four weeks probably even a month and a half so it's going to take some time for, for these the to see the real impact of, of these measures in, with regards to the cases coming down. And I think that's why the government took the decision to uh, extend the state of emergency uh, for three months, which would be from, I think it should have gone till the end of August. So that you at least keep that powers, uh, enforcement powers of, of the police and the Trinidad and Tobago defense was there. So even if the numbers begin to come down and there is some relaxation maybe by, by the government in terms of other avenues of you know businesses opening or some relaxation in terms of what people can do if you, if you keep the state, state of emergency in place at least for three months it still gives the police that power to be able to go in and and break up gatherings that may not be accurate with with what should have be happening and stuff like that so it it, it is eventually it, it is going to take it is going to have some effect but again it's it's going to take a while for us to really see the impact of probably another month again and then you probably will be able to see some level of of coming down of the numbers and then maybe the government may then take decisions afterwards 
in terms of, of easing restrictions because the Prime Minister did state that although the state of emergency goes on for another three months, if it is that there is plausible evidence to show that the numbers are coming down and there could be some relaxation, then the government will take that decision. But obviously, the first thing would be to get the numbers down in terms of hospitalization, in terms of deaths, and get some control over that before any real impact or decision in terms of relaxation can be taken by the government. Uh, Mr. Jade Mark Sonilala, up to yesterday, which was uh, the May 29th, uh, uh, I noted statistics online that said that 90,800 people had been vaccinated, uh, got their first shot, uh, in Trinidad and Tobago. Um, now, by my calculations, that's about 6% of the population of 1.4 million. Um, compare that to Antigua and Barbuda, for example, where we have 33,000 uh, having been vaccinated for a shot uh, in a population of around 98,000. Um, that's about 33% of our population. Uh, do you have a sense of why vaccination in Trinidad has been, uh, I would I would call it sluggish? Well, there are a number of factors coming into it. Of course, I can't share all the uh, uh, nitty-gritty details because as part of my portfolio, I do need to uh, hold up some confidentiality of the operations of the Pan-American Health Organization. But what I can tell you is that Trinidad and Tobago was allotted one of the 90 spots as a self-funding nation as part of what we call the COVAX facility. Now, due to one issue or another, payments were not made in time. And as a result, uh, tranches of the COVAX vaccine that would have been provided for Trinidad and Tobago, which is the AstraZeneca Oxford vaccine, are late in arrival. So what we're seeing right now is that while those tranches are coming in late due to a number of financial and logistical issues, the government has cast their eyes upon um, uh, procuring the Sinopharm vaccine from China. Uh, the government of Trinidad and Tobago announced last week by the Minister of Finance that they'll be taking a 200 million US dollar loan from China. 15% of that uh, will be allotted to purchase the Sinopharm vaccine. So we're taking the Chinese loan to purchase the Chinese vaccine. Now, whether or not uh, the intent is to continue with the COVAX facility, where COVAX's goal um, agreed upon with the Ministry of Health last September was to provide enough vaccines to fully inoculate up to 20% of the population, which is in a region of 286,000 uh, citizens. So whether or not the Ministry of Health, the government, the cabinet, uh, continues to chase uh, the situation with COVAX, or are they going to you know, rely now fully on the Sinopharm vaccine going forward? is a question that can only be properly and truly answered by cabinet. I think um, definitely the situation uh, with the COVAX facility that has led to these late tranches is a definite factor. Um, marking only way back in January, February, where while Antigua and Barbuda and other states would have already begun to vaccinate in numbers of hundreds and, and, and thousands in some cases, a Trinidad and Tobago was stalled on about 300 individuals inoculated for a uh, considerable period of time. So yeah, uh, Trinidad and Tobago situation with vaccines is one of malaise. It's one where we are in a very difficult time in terms of procuring vaccines because another option is now coming to us uh, in communication from Pfizer, where Pfizer is opening the door to uh, developing nations of which Trinidad and Tobago holds that status to acquire vaccines at a cost, of course, but 
um, whether or not we chase that opportunity is up to the Ministry of Health, not up to Powell. And uh, just to posit on one quick thing, this is related to the vaccines. I think um, when you're looking at the lockdown and asking whether or not the lockdown will work, a big part of that is inoculating a large portion of the population. So we are currently in a state of emergency that will end somewhere in, um, in August of 2021. Um, the government has the option to extend for a further three months, so we could very much go into um, our Christmas period in a state of emergency, while vaccines are slow in coming. So if the question um, of whether or not this lockdown will work in the long run um, is a matter of when this lockdown is lifted, will the population be properly inoculated? That is the important question there. And as it stands, it does not look like we will receive enough vaccine and in time. Also, and I'm sorry to go on and on and take from the time of the other panelists, but I also would like to mention what we are seeing in Trinidad and Tobago. Now we have currently 100 cases of it recorded is the Brazilian P1 variant that is found according to uh, Oxford University research to be twice as more likely to evade the immune response of the individual and 1.17 times more likely to be transmissible via aerosol, which means it's a much, much more transmissible virus and then by probability, deadlier. We have these situations ongoing. Oh, and also in clinical trials, early clinical trials, what we are seeing is that both the AstraZeneca vaccine and the Sinovac vaccine uh, is showing um, less effectiveness. Not much, but slightly less effectiveness against the Brazilian P1 variant. So we have all of these things that we discuss on a daily basis when it's our tactical meetings in terms of advising the Ministry of Health. So it, it, it's, it's a definite challenge. Uh, you know, I, I want to say, you know, we, we are going to get there eventually, and we are going to get there eventually, but when it eventually, and that is up to the Ministry of Health to secure the proper vaccines and for the government to, you know, understand mm -hmm. um, what is actually happening to the population in terms of behavior with the lockdowns. Because up to today, I, I would have gone, um, uh, traveled to pick up a, a very important document related to the field of study. And I would have passed in front two groceries where there've been congregations and that is what's been happening. Congregations have not necessarily stopped. They have been reduced significantly, but they haven't necessarily stopped. And that is gonna continue to contribute to these numbers, even in respect of the lockdown. Mm. Uh, Ms. Jade Trim, if I could ask you, um management of the the crisis has been a topic consistently debated in trinidad and tobago whether or not the government has uh, at every step um been as effective and as efficient as it should be and made the right decisions uh i'm going to ask a broad question with uh, which is what are your views on that subject matter the management of the crisis thus far i think that the government has done a lot in their capacity i think to say that they've poorly managed is not really 100% true. I think a lot of it has to do with the citizens of Trinidad and Tobago who seem to have had issues understanding the severity of this virus. There were congregations in groceries, there were congregations in bars, religious organizations, schools, I even passed by, passed by a daycare in my neighborhood and saw that they were still open. And so I think it is a very easy thing to say that the government's measures weren't as effective or their responses were slow but i think a lot of the onus is on the citizens of trinidad and tobago to do the right thing and mr ansel saint uh, what would you offer us on the question of the management of the crisis 
I, I, I would agree with the, with the former speaker um, that um, the main problem has been a laxity on the part of citizens to really adhere to the protocols. Um, as, as she said, there have been congregations, people. In fact, towards uh, the, the, the middle of last year, even down to late last year, because Trinidad was doing so well, but people got the idea that we had controlled this thing and that there was no COVID in Trinidad. You know, we, 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 the ports were locked down and, and, and so on. People were not coming in. People who, who came in were quarantined and so on. And the, the situation was pretty much under control. Uh, high ratings were then high for the government's management of the system. And there really came into play a laxity and, and, and a feeling that, well, look, man, we have conquered this thing. And that has led to the, the, the gatherings and the, 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 the insensitivity to the danger. And I think that largely explains the spike. Uh, we, we, we have to ad admit, though, that um, uh, with respect to the bugbears, uh, with regard to vaccinations, there have been, you know, if that was accelerated, if vaccinations were more rapidly um, were more rapidly applied, we could have had a different scenario. But um, with, with with the evident problems there, you know, that that has made it kind of difficult. Uh, and Mr. Rishi Maharaj, I'm looking at a Trinidad Express article from May 7th, around three weeks ago, a week after the new lockdown began, um, written by uh, Susan Mohammed. It was written, I should say. Uh, it quotes the Prime Minister, Dr. Keith Rowley, as saying he was personally and officially disappointed in the response of the population to the lockdown. Uh, so do you think that there has been a significant compliance issue involved in the crisis? And how would you weigh that uh, uh, with the government's response and how they've managed it? Yeah, I think, uh, like previous speakers would have said, I mean, this is, it's really a two-part way to, to deal with this. One, obviously, there's a government, a governance issue, and, and based on the advice from medical practitioners, the government took the decision that it took early on in March last year uh, in terms of restrictions, uh, to limit gatherings, to close down certain things. I mean, my daughters have not physically been to school since March of last year, and they've been doing online schooling. So, obviously, that's the governance part of it. But then there's also a personal responsibility that, and this has been echoed throughout the media, throughout the world, that there's also a personal responsibility that people need to be aware of playing their part in their role by uh, wearing your mask, not congregating if you don't have to, sanitization and stuff like that. So I think it's it, it, there has been that that you know lack of of acceptance or lack of indiscipline by uh, the population at, at certain stages. You know, especially when we thought that things were easing up and there was no COVID, and things was going back to normal, we could do what we want to do. And I think that that sense of dropping your guard has seen uh, been could been one of the main causes again, for, uh, as well as lack of vaccinations for the spike. But I think also the government also needs to take a little bit of criticism in terms of not having proper collaboration with uh, members of the business communities, other stakeholders unions and stuff like that to see how best we can all come together because the only day COVID doesn't respect uh, age, gender, ethnicity or anything like that. Whoever you are, class, uh, no, economic class, it doesn't respect anyone. So I think the government could have possibly taken the approach of 
of coming together with stakeholders in terms of implementing these measures because we have mentioned ad nauseum in this discussion the economic and the social impact this has also had and i think that also plays an economic part of people who have to somehow provide for their family on a daily basis or, or monthly basis and at the end they may not want to go out and do certain things but because of lack of economics they have no choice but to so i think i think the government maybe could take a little bit of fault from that and probably should have had a, lot, a little bit more discussion and collaboration with other sectors to be able to especially as we enter this other new extreme phase uh, to be handle the situation a little bit better and mr jade mark sonila we're just about out of time for this segment i want to give you the opportunity to leave us with a final word uh, and if you could just take uh, less than a minute to do so uh, what would you like to leave us with well i'll just say finally um it was a great discussion thanks for having us all on um but i will say this in if the government is to go forward and the people of trinidad is able to go forward um not just in combating this pandemic but rescuing our economic state then we need to focus on three things procuring vaccine protecting the border and providing for the poor when we can focus on those three policy areas going forward then we can start to have a conversation of whether or not we can recover from this pandemic economically socially and of course from my um point of view and from my area of um study uh in terms of public health thank you Uh with that we say thank you to Mr. Jade Mark Sonilal uh, the last speaker you heard there he's a journalist and researcher with the Pan American Health Organization uh, we say thank you as well to Ms. Jade Trim uh, she's a graduate student at the Institute of Gender Development Studies at UE St. Augustine uh, to Mr. Ansel St. Hilaire uh, political and social commentator and also to Mr. Rishi Maharaj executive director of the Equigov Institute uh, thanks to all four of you thank you very much yeah, thank you <laughs>